Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today's sermon, He Knows Your Name, will be taught to us from Pastor Jeff Stevens from the book of 3 John. Enjoy. When we start to look at truth, right, there's truth based upon the Word of God. That's our objective reality. We understand that that's where our truth comes from. We know that if we don't tell the truth, we just simply call that a lie. But I want to also say that when we omit truth, when, we don't, when there's an omission of truth and we fail to deliver the truth, that too is a lie. Or maybe we tell a half-truth. I want you to know that a half-truth is in fact a whole lie. And so when we start to come to these realities, right, that's what we've been dealing with is knowing truth. And truth is a conformity to reality. And the reality of our life back at the time of the Bible being written and inspired by God to this present moment is practically applied. I hope that today I'm able to take and give you a practical application of not only knowing the truth, but taking it and implementing it in your everyday life. Okay? So, with that, I just want to open in prayer so that we tackle God's word faithfully. Our Father and our God, Lord, we come to you as your servants. I pray for the hearts that you have prepared and brought here this morning, that your Holy Spirit would work in each of our souls, mine included, Lord, to help us to grow in your grace and in the knowledge of your Son. That we would not only know your truth and your love, but we would take your love and have it compel us to obey what you command of us to do. Help us to be a person after your own heart, a person who follows you, regardless of the circumstances, whether they be difficult or negative or whether they be positive and filling our hearts with rejoicement and, and, and great joy. Help us, Lord, to serve you and to glorify you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you wouldn't mind, we're, our, our letter today is going to be, of course, 3 John. This is our last in this series. Next week, of course, we'll be jumping off into 2 Timothy. And uh, I am just excited as I'm starting to dig into 2 Timothy and the words that are going to be brought forward to us to grow and learn by here. But when we get into 3 John, I want to remind in kind of a summary of 2 and 3 John, right? So 3 John, like the second letter, is brief enough that it was probably written on a single piece of paper or papyrus, right? And so it's less than 300 Greek words. It poses a similar problem that was in 2 John, namely the visits of itinerant teachers. People are in fact going out and sharing the gospel amongst people, especially in Ephesus, where John was overseeing a myriad of churches, home fellowships uh, that were serving and following Christ. And as these people would be encountered that are traveling through, it was customary for us to uh, invite a brother or a sister to come and stay with us. And so it's the same story here where, where John relates in Second John to the letter to be to the elect lady in her family or her children. We find in this particular letter that he addresses a leading member of one of the local church, a man by the name of Gaius. And he refers to two other people. It's important that as we go through this and look at these three people, I want you to be able to walk away and identify the type of person you are. Whether you're like Gaius, 
or Diotrephes or Demetrius. And so as he, as he talks about these three individuals, he speaks both positively and in Demet- uh, uh, Diotrephes' case, he speaks uh, not so positive. I can say that for myself, I would not like to be immortalized in God's word as a person like this. But I will go as far as to say that I'm not doubting the salvation of Diotrephes, but you will clearly see that Diotrephes is, is leading and being a part of a local church fellowship, but he is not fulfilling um, this truth and this love and obedience to follow Jesus Christ. They will be mentioned, Gaius in verse 1, Diotrephes in verse 9, and Demetrius in verse 12. It will make the third letter more vivid than the second. The second letter approached the subject of this elect lady who uh, either was entertaining false teachers or she was such a kind-hearted person that she was just welcoming everyone into her home. And her home, not that she was leading that church but she was the, probably the owner or one of the owners of that home and was welcoming people into her home to worship Jesus. But as we start to look and peel back this, right, what we're going to see is that the elder, John, will commend Gaius for the hospitality he has shown teachers of the truth. He's going to urge him to continue to do it. He's going to sharply rebuke Diotrephes for his refusal to welcome them and for his opposition to those who wish to. And in this way, the positive instruction of the third letter becomes complementary complementary to the more negative instruction of the second letter. I think that the two letters show the greatest context, if you'll do this at some point, when you read both of them together, you will get a greater understanding of your duty and also the limitations that comes within uh, Christian hospitality. I know that for most of us, we, we live in a world where um, even if you go back, for those that can go back this, uh, to the 80s, to the TV sitcom, Cheers, that theme song of Cheers that plays over, it always rings in my head that everybody wants to go to a place where everybody knows your name. And as we start to realize that that is true of people in general. I grew up in an era where a lot of the relationships that we had because we didn't darken the door of a church as a family most of my relationships were based upon the country club that we were members of. And I want you to understand that the church is not a country club. It's not even a poor man's country club. The church is a place where the assembly of the saints, the true believers gather together and we devote ourselves to one another, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. That's what the church is. It's not a building. It's not a facility. It's people. And these people, in all of their sin, in all of your shame, if your faith is in the person of Jesus Christ, then you need to understand a simple truth. If you believe in Jesus, He, Jesus, knows your name. And when He welcomes you into the kingdom of heaven... He will rejoice in you. This won't be a casual greeting. 
This will be an intimate moment of his, of his wonderment and, and love of you. John's going to deal with this. But see, today, right, we not only want to go to a place where everybody knows our name, but we have a difficulty in our culture sometimes of even knowing the difference between a character an actor plays and the actor themselves. We may walk around saying, oh man, Leonardo DiCaprio, I just love him. But you don't know him. You know characters that he's played, but you may not know him. In fact, it reminds me, again, a story for me. Many years ago, right when, when this place, Sports Chalet, was still in business, I was in this Sports Chalet in La Cunada, California. La Cunada Flintridge is this area north of Los Angeles. And I was standing there thumbing through clothes, had a clothing rack, and on the other side of the clothing rack was Kevin Costner. For those of you who are long, younger, just say Leonardo DiCaprio. But, the, <laughs> but Kevin Costner. And immediately, like I, I tell you, I'm not a normal person, right? I'm not excited about the movie stars or, or athletes or any of those things. I could honestly care less. So, but I'm looking at Kevin Costner and I'm not, I, I'm just a sinner like the rest of you, right? So I'm looking at Kevin Costner and I'm thinking, how do I crawl inside this man's head and have fun? So I look at him, I make eye contact, he makes eye contact with me. I said, hey, you're that guy. That guy from that movie. What's that movie? He looks right at me and he says, Dances with Wolves. I said, no, that's not it. <laughs> he says, he kind of smirks, thinking he's on candid camera or something. You know, he's on, on some prank show. And he looks at me again and I said, come on, seriously. You're that dude from the movie. What was that movie? He's like, Bull Durham? No, that's not it. That's not it. And I sit there for a second and I look at him and I said, oh, the movie. It was called Fandango. And he looks at me like, out of all the movies I've made, you recall the first movie I made and it was a B, possibly a C level movie. I know, man, changed my life. <laughs> and he walks away, and he, you know, kind of like, 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 oh, my God. And I didn't think anything. I went right back to my world, right? About two years later, I'm playing golf with a, with a colleague of mine at his country club, his country club called Lakeside Country Club. This is Hollywood Elite's country club, right? Every movie star that's a member of this place. And we literally walk around the corner and bump straight into... Kevin Costner. <laughs> My colleague says, hey, Kevin, great to see you. Hey, Kevin, why don't you meet a good friend of mine? This is Jeff. Jeff, this is Kevin. And all these things. And Kevin Costner looks straight at me and he says, Fandango. <laughs> and I have to, yet again in life, bow my head. <laughs> Sorry, man. I was just having fun. And he's like... <laughs> He's like, no, 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 seriously. He says, that was a great moment in time. It helped me. I just won an Academy Award, and it just, it helped me to be 
real. But here's what I can tell you. I don't know Kevin Costner. And Kevin Costner does not know Jeff Stevens. Just because I encountered him at one moment or two moments in time does not give an intimate knowledge. So I want you to be thinking as we go through this and, and peel back these layers. The God of this universe knows you. And what I want you to see is in these three people, how does he know you? Let's look at it. Starting in 3 John, verses 1 through 8, it says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be good in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, that's Jesus, the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that kind of hospitality, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Point number one, we love lovers of the truth. We love lovers of the truth to the point that we show a preference to them. To the point that we not only welcome them as a brother in Christ, as a stranger into our home, but we send them packing in the most glorifying way to God. Brendan just read about the generosity of this congregation so that we can continue to move forward in sharing the love and the compassion of Christ upon people. There's over a hundred kids that are in Prescott right now that the gospel is being poured into them. I hope that I covet your prayers, that you're praying that God would do a work, a miracle in the heart of many of our youth and save their souls and set them on fire with the truth of God so that they will go forward and become these itinerant teachers who travel all over the world and they share the gospel. You need to understand that you've probably been given a gift and that gift in its simplicity is that you're either a sender or you're a goer. Gaius is a doer, he's a goer. John loves Gaius in deed and truth. Remember in 1 John, when we looked at it in 3.18, it's on the board, it says, it says, little children, let us not love in word or talk. Don't just sit and talk about it, but do it in deed and truth. After all that's said and done, there's gonna be a lot more said than done if we don't go and do it, if we don't send people in deed and truth, right? This word truth, aletheia, it's used seven times in 3 John. It just means truthfulness. It means 
that there's a fact that corresponds with reality. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, reality is the Word of God. That is reality. I don't need to have a quarrel or an opinion. What I need to have is for you and me to wrestle with the Word of God. It doesn't matter what I say, what does God's Word say? And so as we come up here and we preach week after week, we exposit God's word. We go through word by word by word. And the purpose of that is so that we can't flinch. Because you come across passages oftentimes that you wish, hey, can we just skip over this? And there becomes a fear that begins to control us. And I have to, I have to bring you the whole truth. Because a half truth is a whole lie. And so as we look at the word of God, another word I want you to concentrate on is this word agapitos, right? It means beloved. Every time John uses this, he uses it four times in third John. It means dearly loved one. The object of special affection and of special relationship as with Jesus, the beloved of the father. We are to greet people as our brothers and sisters as beloved. We are to see them as a special relationship of affection. The picture, the word picture of this is the father when the prodigal son returns. He runs to him, rejoicing that his son who was lost is now found. He puts a purple robe on him, a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. He calls for a party of the fattened calf and he pours his face on his neck and he weeps with such great rejoicement and, and joy. This is precisely how Jesus will greet you when you enter the kingdom of God. Even now, if you're having those doubts, those orphan thoughts, I want you to get rid of that stuff. And I want you to know that Jesus not only loves you, he likes you. That Jesus himself, if he were standing up here today, and you're back there kind of, oh God, I hope he doesn't point me out, right? And you're having that moment, right? He doesn't have a body disposition of discontent. What he knows about you, if you are his, is that he propitiated. He is your advocate. He has... He knows that you're perfect. He knows that you are holy, not because of anything that you've done, but because of what he's done on your account. He has cleansed you. He has set you free from the, from the penalty of sin. He loves you, and he lavishes that love upon you. And the third word, of course, is the word love itself. Agapeo is used two times in 3 John. And we remind ourselves this is not only God's love for you, it is our love in return to him. It's not only for your brothers and sisters, but it's for your enemies as well. That you would love them, love God, love people, make disciples. Everyone is called to this. Verse three of this, he talks about rejoicing greatly, right? Look at it in this way. 2 John 4 on the board says, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. Do you know what joy it is to look at people that you proselytized, people that you shared the gospel with, and to see them today walking in truth? 
or to even look at your own biological children who've come to know, come to saving grace, and to see them walking in truth. As we were singing the great I Am song, I had to take my glasses off because they were becoming fogged over as I wept in knowing that truth that He and He alone is the great I Am. See, brothers and sisters, I don't have any power to save my children and neither do you. But to see the Holy Spirit and the work of God work in such a way that He grabs hold of the wickedness of a child's heart and gives him, a heart of, takes the heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh and puts a fire inside that person to love as God loved them. Verse 6 reminds us of 1 Timothy 2.12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Or in verse 7, it reminded me of Acts 5.41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, the name of Jesus. You understand, right, that Jesus doesn't return until the last martyr is killed. And it would be considered great honor to be that last martyr. We get in our comfort zones, our gated communities, our bubble wrap children, and we start to think, no, no, I gotta be safe, I gotta be safe. I'm telling you, don't be safe. Live your life for the person of Jesus Christ as if it's your last moment. This is pleasing to the Lord. Blessed are the persecuted for my name's sake. We keep saying, oh my gosh, the world's going to heck in a handbasket, right? And, and it's just getting worse and worse and worse. And it's becoming more and more horrible. And I can't believe it. I see it totally different. Because blessed are the persecuted for his name's sake. I think the world's getting better and better. I know it's going to get tougher and tougher. Because there's coming a time where even in America, you will be persecuted. And the question you always have to ask yourself, can I withstand true biblical persecution? John is the only man who died not a martyr's death. All of the other apostles were murdered for their faith in Jesus Christ. Are you so bold, so unashamed as our youth are learning this weekend that you will give everything, even your physical presence on this earth to the glory of Jesus Christ? Will you sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow Jesus Christ? We have to start to realize that this call in verse eight, therefore we ought, the ethic of ought, we ought to support people like these. Not just the pastor up front, but you as well. What this is about is 100% of the body serving 100% of the body. We start to see that model, that inward look of Acts 2, 42 through 47, right? And in that, in that word, right, of Acts, 42, or Acts 2, 42 through 47, I'll let you read it later, but it says, and they, talking about the believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 
and awe. Awe came over, came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing to the, pro- the proceeds to all as any had need. Skipping down to 47b, and it says, and, they, and the Lord, God himself, added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved. Is that what your life looks like? Is God adding to your numbers those who are being saved day by day because of your devotion to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, to the prayer with one another? Is that what it looks like? Because that's the calling of the church. That's the calling of a Christian. So we start to see these things. It leads us to point two, this diatrophies. He says in verse nine, he says, I have written something to the church. That something is first John. But diatrophies, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wickedness, wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Point two, don't lead in arrogance or you will be named arrogant. I can appreciate a mark of personal revival sometimes is harshness, but this isn't where you're supposed to be. Diatrophes is this man, right? He, in verse nine, he says, who likes to put himself first. That word there means to love to be first. It means to love or desire to be first or the chief, the guy in charge, If you'd only do it my way, then we'd be going the right direction. He also wants the effect of preeminence. Or when it says to talk nonsense, this word, philario, right? It means to gossip and to talk nonsense, to talk folly. Or nonsense in the New Testament translation means bring unjustified charges or gossip about a person. When a person brings gossip about you, the call for you is not arrogance, it's humility. I can't get away from understanding first and foremost the truth, the love of God that compels me to obey the command of God. Truth, love, obedience. Diatrophes, his name actually means nurtured by Zeus. I don't think there's a mistake here. His name was common among the elites and the aristocracies. Whereas Gaius's name was as common as the name John in our contemporary times, Diatrophes was a name that was limited to the wealthy and to the elites. So you imagine the lifestyle and what Diatrophes was raised in, probably similar to many of our kids here in North Scottsdale, where their greatest argument is, I can't believe they didn't buy me a G-Wagon. And we deal with this difficulty in our life. 
but as a society, as a culture, man, have we messed up a generation or two. We've filled them with participation trophies. We've given them a life because we bought into the American dream that my children need to have a life better than the life that I had. I was a country club kid. I don't know how much better it can get. I could charge my meals. I could go to the pool. I could go play golf. In fact, I had really no rules. I was arrogant, insolent. I was a narcissist. And I look at that character of my youth and I see this person that John is talking about here in Diatrophies. You see and read that he did not respect authority. He was a gossip and therefore wouldn't fellowship. He wouldn't break bread with people because of his, his wicked gossip. And if there's none of those things and there's no hospitality and there's no prayer, you can see why John is calling him out to Gaius, the church leader. I'm concerned about this guy. He's not saying he's a false teacher. He's not saying he's a false prophet. What he is saying is that he's arrogant, he's insolent, he's narcissistic, and he thinks that he can't humble himself before the authority of the teaching of God's word, the people whom God has charged with his word, the elders of this church, the pastors who are men that will give an account, as Hebrews tells us, make their life a joy by serving in the name of Jesus. You see, this church is governed by elders, but each one of the elders is in complete submission to the chief shepherd, the person of Jesus Christ. Should be held accountable with the word of God that if we're wrong, correct me, rebuke me, as John is doing here with Gaius. Or our third point as we get to it, and we look in 3 John 11 through 12. It says, beloved, do not imitate evil. And he's still, this is kind of an offshoot of, of diatrophies, right? Imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Now, segueing, Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone. And from the truth itself, we also add our own testimony. And you know that our testimony is true, Aletheia. It's reality. This character, he's an aspiring leader. He's growing in his faith and his wisdom and his stature. And he's going to be used of God for God and for the advancement of his kingdom. So ask yourself, am I Gaius that's leading in faith and truth and love and obedience? Or am I arrogant and insolent and not willing to break bread, to fellowship, to devote myself inwardly to the people on your left and your right, to share the gospel, to live the gospel, to grow in the gospel, to stand before one another and not only confess your sins to one another, but to extend a warm greeting of rejoicing over a brother and a sister in Christ. Or are you an up-and-comer like Demetrius? Number three, a good testimony does good. Verse 11 says, do not imitate evil, right? Psalm 34, 14 says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Or Psalm 37, 27, which says, turn away from evil and do good. So shall 
you dwell forever. Live this way forever. Verse 12 talks about the receiving of good testimony. 1 Timothy 3.7 says, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Do the people at your work, do the people within your community see you as a man or a woman of God? Or do they just look at you and say, oh, another one of those Christians that doesn't have any kind of real fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These nine characteristics of one fruit. Do you ooze these things through your veins? Is it seen by the outsiders? Verse 12, he says, we also add to our testimony, right? John 21, 24 says, this is the disciple who who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true because a good testimony does good. And finally, he closes in verse 13. He says, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, right? That word greet is the same word rejoice. Slobber on them. Love them with the truth and love and greet them by name because everyone wants to go to a place where everybody knows your name. It leaves you with this Understanding that John 15, 14, Jesus himself said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Are you a friend of Christ? Is Christ your friend because of your obedience? Or John 10, 3, we see this great verse here. It says, to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. Do you hear his voice? Has he called you by name? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? To the breaking of bread, to fellowship, to praying for one another? In your discipleship and faithfulness, to love other people, is God adding to your numbers those that are being saved? Be a lover of Christ is to be a lover of people and be a person who makes disciples that follow the person of Jesus Christ. Our Father and our God, Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we worship and adore you. We come to you now as your humble servant saying, Lord, take this word, apply it to my heart, and may I live for you by living like you. Help us, Lord, to grow in this grace, to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, to be filled with your spirit, imperfections at all, knowing we have an advocate who satisfied the wrath of God for us. To him be the Lord.
Let's be a church that stands firm and knows that all of what he is, is his. And may we take those gifts that he's lavished upon us and use them to the advancement of his kingdom, the very cause, the purpose for why we exist, to bring glory to him and him alone. I love you guys. Have a great week.